Welcome back, everybody. This is Rick Pettigrew with another batch of fascinating news stories that appeared on Archaeologica this past week. Send us feedback on the Archaeology Channel Facebook page or post a message on our social networking site, Archaeoseek. DNA study of teeth from a medieval Jewish cemetery in Germany has opened a new window on the changing diversity of Ashkenazi Jews who arrived in Germany about a thousand years ago. Mexican archaeologists have revealed a collection of Maya stucco masks collected in 2013 from a major Maya city in Chiapas. New research on prehistoric cooking shows that even Neanderthals had ways to intentionally make food more palatable and tasty. And excavators in Egypt have come across an unfinished tomb that is perfectly aligned to sunrise on the winter solstice. Thanks to everyone for supporting our subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, available at heritagetac.org. We now have 245 titles you can binge upon on Roku. Please help us spread the word. Again, that link is heritagetac.org. Our tour program, TAC Tours, will continue in 2023, beginning in March with a tour to Malta and its amazing prehistoric temples, which are among the world's greatest archaeological mysteries. The link to our tour program is at archaeologychannel.org tours. And now, here's Laura Kennedy with the audio news from Archaeologica. We hope you find this to be a valuable part of your day. Welcome to the audio news from Archaeologica. I'm Laura Kennedy, and these are the headlines in archaeological and historical news for the week of November 27th through December 3rd, 2022. In our first story, teeth from a medieval German cemetery provide a rare opportunity to study the genetic history of Ashkenazi Jews in Europe. The teeth were found in burials in excavations in Erfurt, a town in central Germany. As reported by LiveScience.com, Jewish religious law usually prohibits research on Jewish remains, but scientists found a workaround in collaboration with the region's modern Jewish community. They studied the centuries-old DNA in teeth that were no longer attached, which do not have the same religious significance as other human remains. According to Shai Karmi, a population geneticist at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, the teeth are considered external to the body under Jewish law. The rest of the body needs to be reburied and cannot be destroyed, but the teeth do not have to be reburied, which means they can be scientifically studied. So far, the workaround applies only to the German state of Thuringia, but the team hopes it will set a precedent for genetic studies of ancient Jewish populations elsewhere. The Jewish cemetery at Erfurt served a thriving Jewish community from the late 11th century until 1454, when Jews were expelled from the city. Afterward, a barn and a granary were built on the site of the Jewish cemetery. In 2013, archaeologists unearthed 47 Jewish graves during an archaeological excavation ahead of modern construction. The remains were reburied following religious laws. First, however, the researchers obtained ancient DNA from the teeth of 33 different individuals. Analysis shows their genetic makeup was very similar to that of modern Ashkenazi Jews living in Europe and the United States. The ancestors of Ashkenazi Jews migrated in the early medieval period from Italy to the Rhineland in what is now Germany, and later from there to Eastern Europe, possibly in response to religious persecution. About half of modern Jews identify as Ashkenazi Jews, 
Others are descended from other populations, including Sephardic Jews from the regions that are now Portugal and Spain. The DNA evidence shows greater genetic diversity in these Ashkenazi Jews earlier on, followed by a genetic bottleneck around AD 1000. A genetic bottleneck results when a population becomes very small. The shrinkage in the gene pool coincides with the first establishment of Ashkenazi communities in the Rhineland. Analysis of the mitochondrial DNA, genetic material passed down through mothers, revealed that a third of the analyzed Erfurt individuals shared a specific sequence, which indicated they were descended from a single woman through their maternal line. The Erfurt research reinforces the findings from a study earlier this year of medieval Jewish remains found in a well in Norwich, England, and also reported by the Audio News. That data set also pointed to a genetic bottleneck about 1,000 years ago, when the first Ashkenazi Jewish communities appeared in England. Over time, the bottleneck in the gene pool led to a higher incidence of certain genetic disorders among modern Ashkenazi Jews, such as Tay-Sachs disease and some hereditary cancers. According to Carmi, the new study shows those disorders were already present in Erfurt's Jewish population by the early 15th century, shortly before their expulsion as part of ongoing processes of territorialization and Christian religious reform. The Erfurt research is published in the journal Cell. Next, we go to Mexico, where archaeologists from the National Institute of Anthropology and History have revealed a collection of stucco Maya masks from the pre-Columbian city of Tonina. As reported by Heritage Daily, Tonina, meaning House of Stone in the Tzeltal language, was originally called Po or Popo in classic Maya texts. Tonina lies in the Chiapas highlands of southern Mexico, only 40 miles from the rival Maya city of Palenque. The two cities were often in conflict, with Tonina emerging as the dominant city-state in the western Maya lands. Tonina arose during the early Classic period, with most of the major construction taking place from AD 500 to 800. The city centered around several temple pyramids set on a series of terraces above a central platform, multiple ball courts and palaces, and over a hundred carved monuments. Tonina was also one of the last Maya city-states to remain occupied into and past the widespread Maya collapse, with an unnamed ruler being described on a monument that dates from AD 904. Excavations at Tonina in 2013 uncovered the stucco masks, as well as various other stucco artworks and sculptures, buried in a structure southeast of the sunken plaza of the Palacio de los Caracoles. Though the artifacts were preserved and have been undergoing study for a number of years, the team has decided only now to announce their findings. The masks have been dated to 650 to 700 AD and appear to represent themes from the underworld, the earth, and the sky. A similar mask came to light at the same site in 2018 at the Temple of the Sun, due south of the main plaza. This mask is a representation of the Lord of the Underworld, with such depictions often being shown without a lower jaw to indicate they are dead. According to Yadun Angulo, one of the archaeological researchers, according to Yadun Angulo, one of the archaeological researchers, the plan is to mount several exhibitions to show the collection of masks, along with collections of full-body sculptures of ruling gods and representations of scenes from the Popol Vuh myth. We are reminded every year around this time that food preparation is central to human culture. 
But how long has that been true? Now, new research on prehistoric cooking shows it may have been more complex than we thought. As reported by Smithsonian Magazine, the research team analyzed charred food remains at two locations, Shanidar Cave in Iraq's Zagros Mountains and Fronchthi Cave in Greece, to gain insight into how Neanderthals and early modern humans prepared food. They found evidence that the dishes involved a variety of ingredients, processes, and decisions. According to Chris Hunt, an expert in cultural paleoecology at Liverpool John Moores University and coordinator of the excavation, the findings are the first real indication of complex cooking and thus of food culture among Neanderthals. The Shanidar cave food remains come from approximately 70,000 years ago, when Neanderthals lived at the site, as well as from 40,000 years ago, when early modern humans lived there. At Fronchthi Cave, the analyzed food remnants come from early modern humans occupying it 12,000 years ago. According to Saren Kabukchu, the lead author of the study and an archaeobotanical scientist at the University of Liverpool, similar plants and culinary practices were found at both sites, which may point to a shared food culture. These early modern humans and Neanderthals weren't just consuming protein from animals. Their diets included a wide selection of plants, and varied depending on location. They also used a range of tricks to make their food more palatable, such as soaking and pounding. According to Kabukju, this points to complex thought by these people about using and preparing food, and the development of culinary cultures in which flavors were significant. For example, wild nuts and grasses were often combined with pulses like lentils and wild mustard. The research underscores how knowledge of the Neanderthal diet keeps evolving, and showing that they didn't just eat animal meat. To further understand the Neanderthal diet, the researchers tried to recreate and sample a similar recipe using seeds found near the caves. According to Hunt, it made a sort of pancake or flatbread which was really quite palatable, with a sort of nutty taste. The study appears in the journal Antiquity. We end this week in Egypt, where archaeologists have unearthed an unfinished 3,800-year-old ancient Egyptian tomb with a chapel that is perfectly aligned with the sunrise on the winter solstice. Located near modern-day Aswan in the Kibet al-Hawa necropolis, this might be the oldest known tomb in Egypt that is aligned with the winter solstice. As reported by LiveScience.com, the tomb was built during Egypt's 12th dynasty in the Middle Kingdom, and held the burials of two governors. Ancient grave robbers plundered many of the artifacts, including the governor's mummies. The name of the governor who originally built the tomb is unknown, while the other governor buried there was named Hekayib III, according to an inscription found in the tomb and in historical records. Each served as a governor of the nearby town of Elephantine, an island on the Nile now forming part of the city of Aswan in Upper Egypt. According to study co-author Alejandro Jimenez Serrano, an Egyptologist and archaeologist at the University of Jaén in Spain, the tomb's chapel contains a niche that was originally intended to hold a statue of the governor who built the tomb, but neither the tomb nor the statue were completed. Just outside the tomb, the team found an unfinished statue that was supposed to be completed and put in the niche, but it is not clear why the tomb was left unfinished. The entranceway to the chapel was built in such a way that the rays of the sun could enter and light the chapel during the winter solstice, which occurs annually on December 21st or December 22nd. 
Had it been completed, the governor's statue and chapel would have been bathed in light during the sunrise of every winter solstice, the day with the fewest hours of daylight. Winter solstice had an important meaning for the ancient Egyptians, marking the beginning of the daily victory of light against darkness, culminating in the summer solstice, the longest day on the earthly plane. According to lead author Maria Dolores Hoyanas Diaz, a researcher at the University of Malaga in Spain, the solstice was thus a moment of renewal and rebirth. This concept would have applied in turn to the statue of the dead governor. The tomb was first found in 1885 by Sir Ernest Alfred Thompson Wallace Budge, but it was not studied until the decade between 2008 and 2018, when it was fully excavated by a team from the University of Malaga and the University of Hyene. The team used data gleaned from the tomb's architecture, along with virtual modeling, to see how the light in the chapel would have changed throughout the year. According to Jimenez Serrano, the team is examining other tombs in the necropolis to see if any others are oriented toward the winter solstice sunrise. The new research is published in the journal Mediterranean Archaeology and Archaeometry. That wraps up the news for this week. For more stories and daily news updates, visit Archaeologica on the World Wide Web at archaeologica.org, where all the news is history. Also, be sure to check out our new subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, at heritagetac.org. I'm Laura Kennedy, and I'll see you next week. This has been the audio news from Archaeologica, presented by the Archaeology Channel. Be sure to check back with us next week for our next edition. You can spread the word about the audio news by clicking on the Share This link on our audio news webpage, or just by telling your friends. Thanks very much for stopping by. Thank you.